Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, a show where we will learn from today's global leaders that will dominate the 21st century in FinTech, business, and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. Today and for the next couple of episodes, I will be bringing you a series of special interviews, which I conducted live from Money 2020 in Las Vegas this past October 2021. This is probably the largest fintech conference in the world, and it was a blast to hang out with a lot of old and new friends. To get us started, I sat down with Tracy Davies, Money 2020 CEO, and Scarlett Sieber, Money 2020 Chief Strategy and Growth Officer, where we discussed why they were excited to bring the event back in person and some of the key fintech trends from this year. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tracy and Scarlett. Well, welcome, Tracy. Welcome, Scarlett. Uh, we are here live, almost live, <laughs> on Money 2020 straight from Las Vegas. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Scarlett? I'm feeling amazing after a great day one. The energy is just on fire. And walking the showroom floor, walking through the content sessions just gives me so much energy. So I'm feeling great. Yeah, no, congratulations. This is definitely uh, the right uh, environment for a nerd fintech like me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I can definitely see thousands of people alike. So it's it's been amazing. Thank you for putting this together. Now, let's talk about the fact that this is the first in-person event in a couple of years. I mean, we've all gone through this traumatic event, which was COVID, right? How do you feel? How do you feel uh, to be back? Well, we ran Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam only four weeks ago. So we've had a bit of time to get used to bringing live events back. So that was fantastic to get that one back in late September. And then, you know, here we are four weeks later, two Money 2020s in four weeks uh, is some going. So it's exciting because I think we missed doing it. I think the ecosystem, the fintech ecosystem really wants to meet in real life, as we call it, you know, because you can do a lot digitally. We all know that we're doing this digitally, but we're sitting opposite each other recording it. And I think that makes the difference. And digital does lots of fabulous things, but you just can't replicate live. You just can't. And the serendipity of, you know, as Scarlett said, you know, bumping into people in the halls, people you know, people you want to know, you just can't replace that. So it's good to be back in real life. Let's talk about some of the trends that you're seeing because really every single area and vertical of fintech and fintech adjacent industries are here, right? And which is exciting. So what, what are some of the main trends that you're seeing, Scarlett? So I'll answer the trends part, but you mentioned something very particular there about adjacencies and people here. So as I said to you, I was running a few minutes late because I was sitting with Lior, the co-founder of Uber Freight never been to Money 2020 before. They just announced their partnership with Branch and Marquetta on stage. And Lior and I had a pretty long conversation about how 
everyone, he's like, I'm so surprised. Like, I didn't know much about fintech. He's like, my wife's sister worked at Klarna, expanding into the U.S. So I had heard a little bit. He's like, but coming here and seeing the scale and enormity of what is fintech and the type of brands that are here just shows it it's ubiquitous all across. So that was a pretty special experience for me for someone who, like, you don't think about, you, you think about things like truck drivers, four million of them in the United States, and it takes 90 days for them to get paid. So payments touches so many different parts. And we started a payments company to begin with 10 years ago, and that's still what we are. So I'd say biggest trend is still payments and new ways to do that. Definitely a focus on B2B. There were some other good announcements we saw that got traction last night about uh, point of sale for the Korean market, which was really interesting as well. So the other big things, we can't be here and not talk about DeFi and crypto. I think, and I actually ran into some of our friends from dinner last night, and they said this was the first time that they were dreaming and really talking about crypto. So I, I hate to be like, oh, trend is crypto, but there really is something different that it hasn't been like this before. Hearing this individual say it to me, he saw me in the hall earlier and I was like, okay, something's going on. There's a lot of movement happening here. And even so yesterday was a, we had summits and all of the, the defined crypto stuff, people wanted that content. And it wasn't just the fintech CEOs. It was banks. It was regulators. Everyone was in that room having that conversation. So it's kind of become normalized. The second thing is just around infrastructure and, you know, banking tech stacks. That's something that, I mean, you know probably better than I do, even the amount of money that's going into that. And people are looking and finding ways to do business better. And they want to do partnerships, whether you're the fintechs, whether you're the banks, the infrastructure needs a lot of help. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I guess, uh, dig in a little bit deeper on the DeFi space. Um, so we were definitely seeing this trend and I'm guessing you're also seeing it in, in the numbers, right? So over the last few years, how have you seen the, I guess, the attendance base focused on DeFi and crypto increase? It's increased. So yeah, I mean, if I think back to 2019, which was the last time we were here, there was certainly some presence, definitely. I don't know the quantum you know, we will analyze it after the show, but it's definitely increased. But that's the fluidity of the fintech ecosystem. If I think back to 2012, I wasn't here in 2012, but, you know, if you look at the composition of the ecosystem then, you know, it it changes each year, but obviously you get these big changes over three years. We saw that with tech, you know, suddenly it was Google and Facebook and, you know, you saw big tech coming in. Now you see crypto, DeFi and that community coming in. So, you know, we see these shifts in the ecosystem that just reflect how the industry is changing because what you have at Money 2020 is the fintech ecosystem. So we reflect what that ecosystem is and it, and it changes over time. But I think the shift since 2019, crypto DeFi, so we see it in the people walking around, but we see it in our in our partners, our sponsors. I mean, if you see, we hosted a dinner last night and there were just so many of our partners there from that space and, you know, on the show floor. So that is a really big shift. And I guess it went mainstream while we're away. You know, you see, you, you see pay, what PayPal have done, JP Morgan. You know, so you've got all of that plus all of the the fintech players in that space using blockchain, etc., to yeah. um, move the industry on. So yes, attendance has gone up. I can't give you a quantum at this point, but uh, we will have that in the coming days. And just to build off of what Tracy was saying, I mean, in years past, it was a while ago now, but there was a Bitcoin or crypto area a long time ago, and now you can't walk 
this showroom floor and not see something that's related to to crypto, which is pretty special. Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's so many. And the fact that, you know, I was talking yesterday about the fact that we had summits. There was one dedicated to that because that's what our audience wanted. That's what they asked for. My favorite was Scarlett interviewing Magic with our uh, friends that count on the main stage yesterday. That was amazing. I think she was, uh, <laughs> she's a social media uh, star this morning, thanks to that photo going viral with you and uh, Magic and Brad from uh, Count. I thought that was fun. That was one of my favorites. Just thought I'd share that. <laughs> the best part about that was Magic asked us, he's like, can we take a picture? Because I really want to post this. And I was like, this just happened. The roles have been reversed, people. <laughs> it was cool, but it was great to hear what Magic was talking about as well, because I think that cuts to the heart of, you know, everything that's important to us in terms of inclusion, diversity, you know, and what he was talking about on the stage, you know, um, with his foundation was really important too. So it wasn't just like a special appearance, you know, he works tirelessly and invests and, you know, his foundation does great work. So we were pleased to share that as well. But um, Making yeah, Magic happen. I love it. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> well, Tracy Davis, CEO of Money 2020, Scarlett Siever, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer. Thank you so, so much for joining us. You're welcome. Pleasure was ours. Next up, I sat down with Imad Ahund, CEO and founder of Mercury a U.S.-based challenger bank built for startups and e-commerce companies. Founded less than four years ago, Mercury recently became a unicorn valued at $1.6 billion and has raised almost $180 million from a long list of investors, including Co2, Andreessen Horowitz, and Clock Tower. Imad and I explored the story and incredible growth of Mercury why U.S. business banking is broken, and the importance for startups to have a great distribution strategy. Imad is also a serial entrepreneur, so he was very well positioned to share why the most important element for successful entrepreneurs is to have a good story that they are genuinely passionate about. Finally, Imad reminded me why my favorite type of people are entrepreneurs. We looked for a quiet space to record our episode for a very long time. And when the only available area was an empty corner with no chairs or tables, he didn't hesitate for a second to just sit down and record the episode while sitting on the floor. Just another reminder that you do not need a fancy recording studio to get things done and why the best entrepreneurs are very scrappy. Hope you enjoy this great conversation. Or Imad, welcome live from Money 2020, from probably the most uh, creative recording corner we could find. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting on the floor here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's probably one of the most memorable interviews you're going to do. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Miguel. <laughs> so th thanks for joining us. Uh, so you are the co-founder and CEO of Mercury. Uh, tell us a bit about Mercury. Sure. Mercury is banking built for startups and e-commerce companies. We are a US-based challenger bank. Uh, we started in, well, I started the company in 2017. Uh, we launched in April 2019 and it's gone well. We have over 40,000 customers. Uh, we just closed a $120 million Series B by, led by KOTU uh, and previous investors are Andreessen Horowitz and CRV. That's what that, and I got to 
put out the disclosure that I am uh, actually a customer. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, I love talking to customers. So that's great. I have a small LLC, and you know, uh, went for Mercury. So yeah, I mean, but tell us about business banking. So it's, I guess, it's the natural cycle for a lot of fintech markets that they start with consumer banking, disrupting yeah. consumer new banks, and I guess payments. And then at some point, you, you start markets actually start to tackling SMB banking, yep. uh, startup banking. So, you know, when did you realize this was a need and how did the initial days work out? Yeah. So I actually had this idea in 2013. So I've been doing startups since 2006. So this is actually my fourth company. And then in 2013, a lot of things that we use as entrepreneurs had improved, but banking was still basically in the stone ages, bad product, bad customer service, lots of fees, all of these frustrations everyone has with their bank on the consumer side, I think were worse on the business side in the US. Uh, US SMB business banking is awful, right? Like the banks that charge you fees for every swipe you do with the card, like they charge you 10 cents or something insane and it's super stressful. So I had this idea a long time ago, I was still doing my previous company, so I kind of gestated on the idea. Uh, and then in 2017, you know, I looked at the landscape. I'd sold my previous company. And I could see that challenger banks were becoming a thing in the US. So we had, you know, even back then, Chime and Aspiration. I think they were not quite unicorns, but almost. And then I'm from the UK where I'd seen you know, Monzo. And actually, business banks were doing fairly well in Europe back then. So Quanto and Tide were doing well. So I knew this trend was happening. And I felt pretty positive that would happen in the US as well. And the U.S. banking market's kind of interesting because it's just freaking huge. Like I think I should, someone said yesterday, like six trillion in revenue per year. Massive. It's just so mind-boggling. Uh, so you can really build a fairly verticalized bank. So you know, my approach was, hey, let's do startup banking first because that's a space I understand, and you have pretty good kind of ARPUs. And in the U.S., you know, startup banking in most other countries would be a niche thing, but in the U.S. Yeah, our main competitor is SVB. That's a $33 billion company. So you can start in this like, yeah, more verticalized kind of fashion and then go broader over time. Understood. Now, the, the competitive landscape has also gotten more intense over the last year. Uh, do you see that as a, as a validation of your, I guess, approach? And at the same time, how concerned are you with the competitive landscape? Honestly, given the size of the market, it's not that busy. Like we were one of the first to launch in 2019. Like, yeah. I mean, there was a couple before, but I would say we were the first to launch that hits with the right feature set that really hit product market fit and scaled pretty fast. So I feel like very early to the market. I think in five years time, there's probably going to be another 10x banks in the US. I mean, it's just a huge market, right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's any big market, it's just inevitable that Especially if you pave the way, there's going to be other people that come there. Yeah, there's people targeting construction industry banking. There's people targeting real estate. There's going to be like a ton of these kind of vertical banks. Uh, I think we have a very interesting space, which we can kind of go broader. But yeah, I think we're still super early. There's actually not that many. From our perspective, where we go after digital businesses, startups, e-commerce, etc., we're not going up against too many actual like startup competitors. Mo 99% of the time, we're going up against the incumbents. Yeah, there's lots of big banks, lots of customers use big banks. No one likes them. So that's really what it's about for me. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and you mentioned a little bit about the future. Sounds like you envision verticalized, specialized banking. Sounds like you, you recognize that it's going to get more crowded. But w what else? How do you envision, I guess, the service evolving 
for the consumer over the next you know few years? Yeah, part of the reason business banking was exciting to me is that for businesses, revenues and costs matter so much. I think for a consumer, yeah, you mostly want to just ignore your bank. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I have this thing. As long as something's not going wrong, like I don't want to think about it. I think with businesses, they have a very different relationship with money. Like they really, there's at least one person in any business that like is staring at that bank account every day. Otherwise, they're just going to fail, right? So I think for us, it's about not just being the bank, but providing other tools to help them run their business, to help them understand their finances. And we really want to help entrepreneurs succeed. That's the mission. You know, a bank account is a part of that. But the way an entrepreneur succeeds is by making money and building a profitable, like sustainable business. So how do we build other tools and services to help, help do that? We have pieces of that already starting. So we have this program called Mercury Raise, which helps seed stage companies connect with seed stage investors and that's been really successful like the last time we ran it we had 1200 applicants and we basically select 50 and we got a ton of them kind of introductions and help their seed runs happen so we're going to do more programs like that as well they're going to be kind of integrated and providing like a real service to our customers i, I gotta get on board on that program yeah <laughs> if you're raising money do it <laughs> uh, and and so i want to switch gears a little bit because i i know you actually are very passionate about helping entrepreneurs you also invest and I was going through a little bit of your Twitter account, yeah. and you have quite a, you know, quite a good number of pieces of advice for entrepreneurs. And one thing that caught my eye is you talk about distribution and how distribution is key. Yep. Right. So maybe expand on this. Uh, and by the way, I agree. As a podcaster, you know, you might have an amazing interview, but if no one listens, it doesn't matter. So yeah, talk a little bit about the distribution part and how have you approached it at Mercury? Yeah, that's a good question. I think actually what comes a little bit before distribution is making something that people really want. And I've, I've been doing stuff for a long time. And sometimes actually, like in my previous company, sometimes I cracked distribution, but I just made something no one wanted, right? Like I actually built a mobile gaming social network and we had eh, maybe 10 million users. Like we had distribution, but no one stuck around. Everyone just left. So everything comes hand in hand. Like you need a retentive product. You need good unit economics. You need something that people actually want. And then you need a good distribution. So all of, like, if you're missing one of these kind of core pillars, you can't build a good business. So for us, you know, one of the theses behind going after this vertical was like, hey, entrepreneurs talk to each other a lot. And often there is these kind of common products that everyone's like, oh, this is great. And that becomes a distribution. I mean, if you consider Stripe, for example, everyone who runs a business thinks Stripe is great. So the next time someone starts a business and they're like, oh, who should I use for card processing? Everyone's like, let's use Stripe. And that's kind of what we wanted with Mercury, build a great product in this kind of community and become the default for that community. And I don't know if we've achieved all of that, but we've achieved a significant part of that thesis. So that's, yeah, that's in some ways a clever distribution hack, but also it's just understanding the people and just building a great product for them. So I think all of these things kind of come hand in hand. Got it, got it. And how about um, for entrepreneurs that are, you know, listening and thinking about taking that leap and building something, you also say that you got to start by identifying the nucleus of your startup story. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You know, I think I'm an engineer and I think often uh, yeah, entrepreneurs are like engineering minded people. I mean, they might not be engineers, but they're thinking in terms of like facts, right? Like it's like, okay, this happens and this happens, etc. And I think that's all fine. But the way something really works, like in terms of, users caring about it, investors caring about it, like you being able to recruit great people, is if you can have a good kind of story that you're passionate about, that you really believe in, that 
that is like the thing that then drives the rest of it. And you know, for us at Mercury, it was hey, business banking should be an amazing product, right? And like this is a huge market, and yeah, we should do it kind of thing. And like that's in some ways it's a simpler stories. I think sometimes when people are trying to create a new market, their stories are a little bit more complicated. There's in such a like obvious market and obvious need kind of thing, but you really need that compelling story that you can be passionate about and everything kind of builds around that. Yeah, I, I'm always like telling people, hey, like, what is your story that you're really passionate about and how do you turn that into a business, right? Like, there's always, often I find the entrepreneur, you know, has an idea of that, but you kind of need to coax it out of them. So I try to tell people, like, think about it more actively and like, try to say, okay, you know, this isn't just like you kind of splitting out facts. Like you need to have like this kind of, yeah, you need to be a bit of a salesperson. Like you can't yeah. be an entrepreneur without having any kind of sales energy. And like that story is where that energy starts. Imad, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for joining. And yeah, we'll see you around. Yeah, thanks for having me, Miguel. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this two great discussions with Tracy and Scarlett from Money 2020 and Imad from Mercury Bank. Stay tuned next week for two more Money 20 interviews with Dan Henry, CEO of Green Dot, and Jeannie Walden from Daily Pay. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the amazing editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.